and last thing for you. Your totally impartial review of Rise of Skywalker. What was your reaction seeing the movie? I had a blast, man. It made me so proud just to, I mean, and seeing the heart and soul that JJ put into it, seeing my friends who were in the movie just like bring the whole thing to a conclusion. Yeah, for me as a Star Wars fan, it was a really special experience. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl LeClaire, Jason Hunt, and Katie Horn, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 370, The Rise of the Larians. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the D.O. to my BB-8, we have Carl LeClaire. Thank you. Very kind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey, buddy. Hi, Carl. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm excited to talk some more Rise of Skywalker. Excellent. I'll never shy and, uh, away from talking about this. Yeah, definitely. That's for sure. Um, of course, we'll be talking by talking about what our listeners are talking about today. Right. right? That, that's indeed true. You, our listeners, our Larians, are the ones who are going to steer the ship for this episode this week. You all sent in lots of really great emails. Um some of them chock full of great questions, insights, observations. Um, and as a result, we won't be able to get to every single word of every single email just because there's just too much. Um, but we're excited to highlight some of the things that stood out to us and talk about them on this week's episode. So as always, thank you to all of you who took the time to, to write in those emails. Um, and just going to take the opportunity really quick again, too, if you're a relatively new listener um, thank you for being here. And we are well aware of the incredibly large amount of um, Star Wars podcasts that exist. And there are so many good ones out there these days. Um, so we just really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show. And hopefully you continue to enjoy loving Star Wars as much as we do. Indeed. Uh, but before we get into all of the uh, Larian responses to the rise of Skywalker, Carl. We have uh, one or two other things that we need to do first, correct? Um, yes. I I don't know about two, but I know one, which yeah. is go over our uh, our poll results or our matchup results, for that matter, from yes last week's episode where we put the um, Return of the Jedi Luke against Rise of Skywalker Ray. Um, so, what did they have to say? Oh, well, we had quite a few responses on Twitter and Facebook. The funny thing is, is the Twitter poll ended up uh, nearly split 50-50, but it was an odd number of votes. So there was one that got more than the other. Uh, Facebook, not quite so close. But I think this is one of our closer polls that we've had recently, or closest, closer matchups that we've had recently. Um, it ended up being uh, Return of the Jedi Luke at 92 and the Rise of Skywalker Ray at 66. Execute Order 66. 
Sorry, I had to. <laughs> That's pretty um, good that uh, Ray Pal, you know, the granddaughter of of, of Palpatine had sixty six. Right. Yes, yes. So our our Larians are are definitely you know chiming in and and giving their thoughts on all this. And a lot of people wrote in comments and things like that on why they made the decisions. There were definitely a few that were like, I don't know who to pick. This is hard. So which is where I'm at. But Carl, you seem to have made up your mind. Um, who who are you voting for in this matchup? Definitely Ray. Um, as soon as I why? thought of. As soon as I thought of the matchup, I was like, oh, I know who I'm going with this on it anyway. Um, I just – I think where Rey is – okay, I sum it all up with this, a quote from Last Jedi. We are what they grow beyond. Rey is further along than where Luke was at that point in his journey. And I think that's the beauty of that that wisdom of Yoda is that these new characters – they're growing past the limitations of their mentors. And I think that's so important, right? That's kind of the theme of the sequel trilogy. It's one of the themes of the sequel trilogy is growing beyond um, the generation that came before you because that's important. That's how we grow. We have to grow beyond the constraints of what came before us, um, right? Just like Luke grew beyond the constraints of the old way of being a Jedi, Ray grows beyond the constraints that fell upon Luke. Luke in Return of the Jedi, don't get me wrong, Definitely powerful, no doubt about it. But Ray has just had a different existence than him, uh, a much harder existence, and one in which she's just naturally had to fight for her own survival. I think she just has a natural prowess with combat that Luke just never had up through Return of the Jedi. Um, so I do think that she she wins um, relatively easily, too, to be fair. Um, the beauty of what Luke accomplishes in Return of the Jedi is throwing away his lightsaber, which I get. Um, but that being said, um, when it comes down to, again, these matchups, the way I, I always envision them is, is they are like if they're a fight. These two fight. They pull out their lightsabers and they fight. So I think when it comes down to just pure combat skills, Rey by far has the edge at that point of her journey. Um, so I, I definitely give it to Rey. Uh, and just a quick side note to anyone who mentioned Ray being a Mary Sue in either Facebook or Twitter, you got deleted because I just don't have time for that sexist comment. <laughs> so, and I'm, I'm not sorry if that offends you, but it's kind of the truth. And Mary Ray is not a Mary Sue and there's plenty of evidence as to why that's not the case. So if that's what you want to stick to, by the way, everyone who said it was also a man. So, um, yeah, it, just any more of that sort of negativity, uh, just know you'll be deleted. So, because um, I don't, I don't agree. Ray is not a Mary Sue. Um, she has a very clear trajectory in her story, um, much clearer than Luke's in a lot of ways. But I think we brush aside Luke's because he's a man. So, um, I firmly believe that Ray's the better in this matchup as well. So that's who I go with. What do you think? Oh, man, uh, this is tough because I, I do think that um, that combat – if we're doing purely off combat skills, I do think Ray has the upper hand because she seems to be more trained and more practiced in the art of combat. Uh, Luke, to be fair, uh, is kind of a hack and slash kind of guy, um, but – that's not where his strength comes from. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Luke has a strength of spirit that is almost unmatched in the Star Wars universe. Um, and that is where he draws his strength. Um, and so it's very difficult for me to, to, to choose this matchup. However, I will say, since it is a, a, a matchup, and most of our matchups are, you know, the idea of a, a, a combat scenario, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, you swayed me, Carl. Yes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Ray on this one, but only by a small margin, um, because I do think there are some experiences and intangibles that Luke has that Ray doesn't, um, and also vice versa. But uh, those kinds of things are very hard to weigh into a, a matchup like this. So I'll give it to Ray on the combat point uh, in in this round. So that will give us a final tally of 92 for Luke and 68 for for Ray, uh, Luke being of course Return of the Jedi, Luke uh, not Last Jedi, Luke, <laughs> and Ray uh, from The Rise of Skywalker. So, all right, uh, we got a, a great poll for you at the end of this episode, which is very topically oriented, as we are wont to do. Uh, but we got a lot to talk about before we get there, so uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode for that poll. Carl, yeah. You said there Are we was, ready? Well, you said there was two things we had to do. That's only one. I'm curious what the other thing I, was. I said one or two. Oh. So, I, was, I was just, you know, d- filling air. Don't worry about it. Oh, all right. Good. Because I was like, oh, what's I, the other thing? I was all excited. Apparently not. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, mm. well, I, I, can, I can say something that's completely unrelated. Nope. All uh, set. If you want. Nope. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, so let's get into these uh, these email responses that we got to Rise of Skywalker. And again, like I said right at the top, uh, unfortunately, we don't have time to go through every single one because some of you sent quite the extensive emails, which, again, we love and, and enjoyed reading every single one of them. But uh, we'll get we're going to get through highlights from hopefully all of them in this episode. Yes. Um, but we do have a couple of shorter ones that we're going to start off with. Um, this first one comes from a uh, longtime listener, Jackson. Uh, he says, just wanted to give my thoughts on the rise of Skywalker. I've seen the movie four times now, and I think it's amazing. I love the action. Ben Solo, when he fights the Knights of Ren, is so uh, badass. Ray is awesome in this movie. Also, I love the lightsaber fight between Ray and Kylo on the wreckage of the Death Star. That was a great fight. Uh, Adam Lane also chimes in. He says, The ending of The Rise of Skywalker is foreshadowed in The Force Awakens during the scene when Han and Rey are trying to fix the hyperdrive on the Falcon. There's a coolant leak, and Rey says, Try transferring auxiliary power to, and Han finishes the secondary tank. That's clearly Force healing. And then there's my favorite Rey quote. (laughs) I bypassed the compressor, which is saying Rey will bypass the compressor at his Palpatine. Palpatine is compressing every Sith that's ever lived through him. Also, Babu Frick is Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter. Picturing Moaning Myrtle doing the voice of Babu Frick is one of the purest joys I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know Harry Potter well enough to get that reference. <laughs> uh, she's a ghost of a former student who lives in the bathroom. Okay. I've probably encountered yeah. her then. I just don't remember. <laughs> She talks a bit like this. Okay, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, um, but of course it, that was that was in one of the earlier uh, 
Harry Potter's. So it's when they're <laughs> when Daniel Radcliffe um, hadn't hit puberty yet. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so um, really quick, something uh, Jackson mentioned that I just wanted to, men- to to kind of follow up on. He mentions how much he likes the fight between Ray and Kylo on the Death Star there. Um, what's really unique about that lightsaber fight compared to any other lightsaber fight in the Star Wars saga? Um, well, I guess that's not, this isn't entirely a fair statement because it's not quite as true in Empire Strikes Back or A New Hope, (laughs) but specifically the prequels, there's no particular, there's no music in that entire fight. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's not any music when they're fighting on the Death Star. The music comes in at the end when she stabs him. And then we get this, you know, all these strings and kind of this mournful, sentimental music that kind of cues in as Leia comes in and then she stabs, stabs Kylo. But during the actual fight itself, there's no music. And I just find that kind of fascinating, right? Because it's it kind of mirrors the Mustafar duel being that it's over water as opposed to lava. You know, it's these, you know, huge characters having this climactic moment. But we don't get anything like Battle of the Heroes. Instead, we get no sound. The only sound is the the sound of the fight, the waves crashing, and just the sheer exertion from Rey. Um, the way she pants and um, kind of groans as she's fighting here, she's putting in all of her energy. And something else unique to this fight is it's the first time we ever see somebody get tired. <laughs> you know, we yeah. never really see characters get tired while they're fighting. I mean, it's... You can probably assume they're getting tired, but we really see that with Ray. Yeah. Um, well, Qui Gon does take a knee to meditate, yeah, and, uh, recover. So it's just because he gets the opportunity, it's not because he, you know, he pauses. He he wouldn't have the opportunity to pause as soon as he pauses. Maul would have killed him, but Ray right. has a different dynamic with Kylo, right? So true. So she has the yeah. luxury of being able to stop and take a breather, and he'll wait for her. And even when she yeah. stops to force push uh, Finn back. You see Kylo stop for a second and just watch. He could have easily took, taken a, an easy strike on her, but he doesn't. So again, yeah. Kylo's he's not still trying to, to he's still trying to convert her at that point. Exactly. So. But I just found it fascinating that that fight doesn't have any music. Um, but, yeah. But yet it's still great. So. Indeed, indeed, it is quite the duel. Um, although, I don't know for whatever reason, like the, the wet gets to me sometimes. I'm like, oh, God, they're just soaking. <laughs> the socks in their boots must really be uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I just hate squishy socks. Yep. Um, anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I do like the, the fact that Adam uh, mentioned there's a lot of for, there's the foreshadowing of The Rise of Skywalker and The Force Awakens, and there's a lot of that. Yes. Um, that happens throughout uh, the rise of Skywalker uh, calling back to the force awakens. The, I mean, just prior to the duel, we were just speaking about, you know, when Ray is up the wreckage of the death star in order to get to the, uh, the location that she's aiming for. Um, that is a direct call back to when we first met her clambering around the inside of the star destroyer on Jakku, uh, you know, scrapping for for parts and things like that you know there's, and there's a lot of other things too um and i think that's one of the uh things that you can get when you have you know the same person doing both movies so um yeah. I, I think that definitely helped the rise of skywalker uh having jj J. abrams doing uh 
The Force Awakens as well. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on, uh, we got a nice long uh, email from Kurt. And Kurt asks a lot of, honestly, really great questions about things that just confused him about the movie, which a lot of these questions are very valid and some of, some of the same questions I had. A lot of them stemming around Palpatine and how do you come back. Um, but one thing uh, Kurt said that I particularly wanted to look at is he says, uh, George Lucas made Star Wars movie when he had a story to tell. Disney made this trilogy to make movies and tried to figure out the story afterwards. I feel that that's the biggest letdown. Um, so I actually – I get this this point because I think a lot of people are making it. And, and this is not me in, intending to be dismissive of, of your comment here, Kurt, because I think it's a very valid one. But the reason I would – I just want to give a different perspective. Um, this notion that Disney didn't really have you know, a master plan. Again, and we've, we've all heard this a million times. Neither did George when he wrote the originals. You know, I know a, no. lot of, a lot of people like to pretend that he did, but he didn't. He, did, he had no idea Vader was Luke's father until well into writing Empire. He had no idea that Luke and Leia were siblings until well into writing Return of the Jedi. Um, there's plenty of evidence to that. Um, so that being he, said, he had a He had a broad outline. Right. Uh, that kind of gave him, you know, some nice, you know, milestones to hit. But a lot of those details he kind of made up as he went along. Yeah. Uh, but George is a very good is very good at selling the fact that oh yeah, I, I had this great idea from the start. So <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I so the thing about you know Disney just making the movies to make them without thinking about the story. I actually think going back to when I read the the art of the Force Awakens. In the very first chapter, uh, when J.J. got together with the story group and everyone else who was going to collaborate on making this movie, Kathleen Kennedy included, the question he put out to every single person that was going to be part of the creative process was, why do we need to continue to tell the Star Wars story? That was his question, right? We all know the famous question that Kathleen Kennedy asked him to get him in, you know, who was Luke Skywalker? But then J.J. asked this question of every creative mind behind Force Awakens is, why what is the value of telling the star wars story again why do we want to continue to tell this myth and that in and of itself tells me that there was a reason they made it yes disney is a corporation and wants to make money there's no doubting that um for sure um that's why anybody makes a movie in the hollywood system right it's to make money but to yeah. i think to just dismiss because there seems to be some disjointed storytelling as saying that oh they had no they had no vision or no reason to tell this I think is actually dismissive of the fact that they are trying to teach us something right I think these stories and every single story kind of has central themes that are really important to our culture today which is what myths are intended for right like I've kind of already said earlier I think one of the themes of this particular trilogy is learning to grow beyond our previous generation right um, and I think that's something culturally that's happening right now is we, we think of you know the world war ii generation as the great generation or the um but they're also a generation that was very complacent with racism and sexism and all a million other things that aren't very good so it's nice to think that we're growing beyond that and i think that the sequels tell us in a very um simple way that there's value in that there's value in growing beyond what came before us so i think that there is Maybe not on Disney's part because Disney is just a corporation funding the project. But I think from the creative standpoint, there was an intentionality behind these stories. Um, 
if it didn't work for you, hey, that's valid because then Kurt asks a lot of great questions, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually do want to to just tackle one of them sure. really quick because I think I've got a good answer for it. Um, the first one that he asks um, is Palpatine's character was all about having immortality. Why does he now want to pass on his rank to Rey? It's against his previous ideology and the Sith way. Uh, sort of. And here's what I mean. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that he's um, trying to, to just pass this on to Rey because he tells her at one point, if you strike me down, my spirit will pass into you. Which means that he gets to continue on. And also, to some extent, what is more lasting in immortality than a legacy? You know? Mm. And you know the the idea of immortality is it can be viewed in many different ways uh you know not just you know living forever which he seems to be trying to be able to do <laughs> anyways but um immortality can also mean a legacy your name goes on through history because of you and your descendants and what that line is able to achieve <coughs> Excuse me. And since his son didn't want to have anything to do with this and probably wasn't force sensitive enough to even be considered uh, part of this master plan, uh, the minute, you know, granddaughter Ray comes along, he goes, aha, now I've got an idea. So, <laughs> um, so there's, there's two sides to that that I think he still is after that immortality. There might be a little bit in the back of his mind about the legacy, but he also says flat out that if you strike me down, my spirit will pass into you, meaning he will go on. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it's contradictory at all because, uh, I still think he is after that immortality in one way, shape or form or, you know, or another. Yeah. So I hope that answers that question, Kurt. Yeah. Well, the big question he asks in the in the meat of his questions is, you know, how's Palpatine alive? How do he create Snoke? <laughs> Those are questions I have too, Kurt, and I don't have answers. So I, I hope, <laughs> you know, again, the novel comes out in March. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit more detail in that, if not other ancillary material. Um. But yeah, those are questions we don't get answers to in the movie, and they're very valid questions. Um, yeah. So um, I'm actually going to hit on his last question, too, just really quick, because I, I, I really like this one, too. He says, I'm just curious, but how did the Jedi speak to Rey that hadn't achieved Force Ghost status? Um, and to that, I'd first say is, well, they're not Force Ghosts. We don't see them. <laughs> we just hear them. Um, and it, it makes me think of the the final arc of Yoda in the Lost Missions of Clone Wars when he goes to Degamo yeah. the first time and Qui-Gon's teaching him about the cosmic force and the living force and how everything passes from the living force into the cosmic force. So my headcanon, now granted, this is just my headcanon. I could be completely wrong and Kurt, please feel free to dismiss this. Um, but in my headcanon, there's something special about every one of those Jedi that they're somehow able to maintain that sense of individuality within the cosmic force. Now, does that mean they can manifest as force ghosts? I don't know. We don't see them as such. So who knows? Um, but I really like yeah. it because it's this idea that the cosmic force has welcomed into its fold the voices of all these Jedi who've gone before. And I think it's incredibly important that Ahsoka is one of them, right? I know a lot of people had questions about that. How yeah. is, how, oh, well, it also implies that Ahsoka died. Yeah, well, 
that's fine. <laughs> like this is a long time after the I mean, Clone Wars. Um, yeah. Yeah. So not, and I don't mean that like flippantly, but, but it's also cool that like you, it's a nice reminder that not just Jedi by the strict sense of the word in so far as living within the Jedi code can become part of the force, right? Anybody can. When Ben yeah. Solo fades and becomes one with the force at the end of the movie, he's certainly not really a Jedi. Um, nobody taught Anakin how to do that. And yet he's able to become a force ghost. So again, mm-hmm. to me, it's this, it's this beautiful moment of vindication of all these voices who've gone before saying that they are now part of the cosmic force and that they still have influence. So it's also yeah. like the perfect remedy to the problem of the Sith, which is that selfish desire for immortality is the end of all Sith is oblivion, right? But the end of yeah. Jedi is life. So, yeah. And, and uh, if you have not watched that, that um, arc of the clone wars, uh, Kurt, you know, Qui-Gon does speak to Yoda uh, he does not manifest. He does not come as a force ghost, but he does speak to him through the force right. um, because Yoda is open to it and has been meditating on things like that. And so it's it's a very, you know, and, and even Yoda goes, how is this possible? You know, <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, goes on a little, uh, you know, field trip to learn how it's possible. <laughs> so how, shall we say uh, so if you have not seen that arc of the Clone Wars, it's on Disney Plus, so I, and I recommend you check it out. It's one of the final arcs of season six. So um, shall we move on? Sure. Yeah. So next up we have Zachary um, and Zachary says, um, I want I feel like this is worth reading because he kind of implies that he wants us to. Um, I okay. want to share. So he says, I, I want to give my backstory so you understand my point of view. I'm 15 years old and I've been a Star Wars fan for about five years. I've seen all of the canon movies, the Clone Wars and Mandalorian episodes, and I want to start watching Rebels when I get the chance. I also always try to have more of a positive outlook on all the movies. And then he goes into his thoughts um, and essentially says that this movie kind of falls in the middle of his list. He, he thinks that there's some parts that don't work very well. Um, has a has a valid list of things that didn't work for him. Um, made the point to point out things that he really liked, notably Babu Frick. How can you not like Babu Frick? Mm. Uh, right. Um, and uh, but something that Zachary hits on that Kurt also hit on again was just kind of this notion about not having a clear roadmap. And and uh, Zachary says what I can get from this trilogy after this movie is that Disney had no roadmap when they decided to make more movies. Um, so hopefully the points we just kind of made insofar as what Kurt was pointing out helped clarify that a bit more. I I do think they had a general roadmap insofar as George Lucas did when he made both trilogies that he made. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that I think is really key to understanding the sequels, and this is something I've really come around to after seeing Last Jedi a lot. Last Jedi, or not Last Jedi, excuse me, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker has made me love Last Jedi and and Force Awakens even more. I think it's important to remember that this trilogy, it's Ray's story just, so, just as much as the, like the prequels were Anakin's story and the originals were Luke's story. Um, right. Again, we have the narrative in our head from George Lucas, who was kind of doing re redaction of his, his own story after the prequels came out where he, Oh, you know, it's, it's the story of Anakin. That was not the story he told in the seventies and eighties. Like there's right. There's no question about that. Like you can disagree, but 
just, you know, like I, I, I don't see any other way. Like he told the story of Luke Skywalker and then he went back and decided to tell this prequel story and focused on Anakin um, to kind of flesh out that redemption, maybe make it a little bit more powerful, which I think it does. Um, but this trilogy, this isn't Anakin's story anymore. It's not Luke's story anymore. This is Ray Skywalker's story. Um, and it's a whole new way of what it means to be a Skywalker, which is to me the why I love this movie so much. Um, but so that being said, I think Disney's roadmap, if you will, is telling the story of Ray and who this new character is in the Skywalker lineage. And I think that it does do that in a really, really wonderful way. Does it seem like there's some inconsistencies? Sure. But look at the originals. There's tons of them. <laughs> so, you know, look at the prequels. Yeah. There's many of them there, too. I I think if, you know, we've we've all become the harshest critics of Star Wars, um, often forgetting that when we first saw these movies that had some similar flaws, we just were happy to overlook them. Um, and again, I, I'm indicting myself here. I, we're much more critical than we need to be, I think, sometimes. Um so yeah. again, I don't mean to dismiss Zachary's points. Again, he made several valid things that didn't point out a lot of things that didn't work for him. Um, most notably, cause I, I really strongly agree with Zachary on this is that the Knights of Ren were disappointing. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> like this was JJ's <laughs> creation and he did next to nothing with them. Um, and I made a comment on uh, Twitter this past week that something I would have loved to have seen in rise of Skywalker was just a brief scene where the Knights of Ren capture and kill Bulio. Not because I don't love Bulio, because I do. Bulio is one of my <laughs> favorite side characters in the sequels. But again, just like a little scene like that would have really showed you like, oh man, these guys are terrifying. But we don't see them do anything terrifying. They just walk around and look cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And then their fight or, with or, or stand around and look cool. Yeah. And their fight with Ben was wildly disappointing to me. It it lasts about five seconds and it's just, I don't know, a bunch of wire work. It's just, it's not my, not my cup of tea, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was Jackson's cup of tea and that's great. <laughs> so some, somebody, yeah. people loved it. I didn't. Um, so anyway, I don't mean to, you I, know, just zoom over all of his points, but I, again, just, I really want to hit on, you know, that, that point of how I think there was, there was a general idea of the story they wanted to tell. Um, and it was the story of Ray, and I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The the thing that we we as hardcore Star Wars fans do get caught up in the weeds uh, because you know we want to see certain kinds of characters do things. We want to see certain kind of story beats be you know really fleshed out, or or uh, you know lore or mythology or you know fill in the blank that we all really enjoy about star wars but the thing that we and i'm including myself in all this the thing that we always forget is that there is a character at the middle of all of this this movie this trilogy um and and that's what they're focused on and sometimes the peripheral stuff doesn't always work out the way we hoped it would or wanted it to. Um, I I will be the first to admit that I am disappointed there was not more R2-D2 in the entire sequel trilogy. However, I do have to, you know, grant the fact that, you know, BB-8 is Ray's droid, you know, more than any of the other ones. And Ray is the main character in this. So, of course, R2 is not going to be as central. Now, 
Do I think they missed some marks by not having him more involved in, you know, The Force Awakens uh, or The Last Jedi? Yeah. Um, I do think there was more for him to do in The Rise of Skywalker, which I appreciated. So I took what I got, and I'd be happy for it. Um, but, um, you know, it, but that's that's my thing. That's a side character. R2 is not essential to the sequel trilogy, and I just have to accept that. Um, you know, <laughs> as much as I hate to say that, he's not essential to the sequel trilogy, and I have to be okay with that in the end. Um one other thing that I do want to um, bring up um, from Zachary's points is uh, the last uh, thing he said, The some things he was not so crazy about, was the fact that it doesn't answer everything and leaves more questions. Um, and y- you're right um, to some extent, uh, to a lot of extent, actually, Zachary. It does not answer everything, and it does leave more questions, but a lot of Star Wars does that. Which is why we have things like the Clone Wars and the Mandalorian and Rebels and these other you know novels and comics and things like that that come in and fill those answers and answer those questions and things like that. And the because they've had the movies going on, they have been staying away from answering any kind of questions that involve directly into the sequel trilogy. I mean, Resistance was kind of shoehorned into a corner um, of the galaxy and not really able to take part in you know what the movies were covering in any meaningful way from what i understand i've not watched the current season yet i'm waiting for it to come out on disney plus um but from what i've heard so far at least it has not really been able to work into what the sequel trilogy has done in any meaningful way and so they've been kind of keeping a lot of things away from the sequel trilogy at this point until after it's done um give it an you know, three, four years, and we'll have a lot of those holes filled and questions answered and other material. Um, so that just means there's more Star Wars coming. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I'll, I'll back, I back you up on that in the sense of, you know, I think a good Star Wars movie leaves lots of questions um, because it, it just gives us room to play. It sets up a great sandbox to play on, if that makes sense. Um, Indeed. So, again, and not to say that that doesn't mean that some of these questions shouldn't have been answered, because I think Zachary is definitely right, as is Kurt with some of the questions that they have that should have been answered. Um, yeah, I still I agree. think there should have been a little bit more of a clear cut response to how Palpatine's back. I, it, again, like that's just something I've compartmentalized and just been like, well, it's not there, so whatever. I don't yeah. love that it's not there, but I can't change that. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, so that being said, uh, um, one of the things I've really loved about Rise of Skywalker 2 is it's it's made me excited about other parts of the Star Wars mythos. Um, most noticeably, I just uh, I, I plan to revisit some of the legacy of the Force books, which obviously are now legends. Um, but it's ultimately the story of Jason Solo falling to the dark side, becoming Darth Kytus, and then Jaina, his sister, having to kill him at the end. So mm-hmm. I actually reached out to you know our friend Mark Hurleman from Star Wars Beyond the Films and asked Mark, I was like, hey, if you had to pick three books from that series, because it's a long series, <laughs> to reread, which ones would you pick? And he, he suggested three, so I just ordered them off eBay, and I'm, I'm excited to revisit them. And because I feel like there's stuff from those stories that kind of found its way into Rise of Skywalker. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm curious to see how that might play out. 
Um, this even happened with Mandalorian with chapter two, like all the Jawa love that we got. I remember picking up my tales from the <laughs> Moss Eisley Cantina uh, book and rereading the tale from the Jabba or the Jawa in that. It's just like to me, like that's really good Star Wars to me is stuff that makes me want to like read other things from Star Wars. Um, yeah. So um, again, double edged sword, right? Uh, I think there's valid questions that don't get answered, which should have been. But the other right. edge of that sword is. But now we have room for more content. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So, anyway. So, um, so thank uh, you. Yeah. great, great comments, uh, Zachary, though. Um, and, and I do uh, agree. Um, one of the good things that he really pointed out was that the final scene, which I think is fantastic. And I love the final scene. So I'm glad he, he included that. And the final space battle is one of the best space battles in all of Star Wars. Um, I, one of the best. Yes, it's definitely in the top three or four in my opinion. So, and I do love a good space battle, but I think we should move on to Sartage, Carl. Yes. Sartage, who has been on the show once before, always has great thoughts. And so we always look forward to when he emails us. Um, but you had some things you wanted to highlight um, from his email. So what do you got, Carl? Yeah. Um, so uh, Sartage says, um, and again, he had, he had a lot of great thoughts and then linked us to his full review, um, which was wonderful. Uh, he's incredibly insightful about Star Wars. Um, but the things that he says that I really liked is he goes, uh, the more I've thought about the ending to Ray's journey, the more I've been touched by it. Aside from being a metaphor for the value of chosen family, I think it's a powerfully positive message for today's world where people grappling with their gender is a genuine issue. Ray's story is a big embracing hug to that community, illustrating that just because you've been assigned a role, it doesn't mean you're defined by it. You can change. You can identify as whoever you want, gender, family, name, etc. Um, wow. Sartage, that is just brilliant, beautiful, and you made me love the movie even more. Um, <laughs> I don't really have anything to say beyond that. He's, he so brilliantly puts it, you know, um, just because you've been assigned a role doesn't mean you're defined by it. And I think that's the whole point of Ray Palpatine. Um, again, I, mm-hmm. I, I still don't love that she's Palpatine's granddaughter. Um, I also don't see it as a retconning of Last Jedi. I know a lot of people like to pretend that that's what it was. It's not. Um, if you read anything by J.J. or Chris Terrio, they were very adamant that they felt that what Ryan brought in Last Jedi was a really tough question for Ray in that moment, in that particular story. But they felt that it needed more weight, which is why they said, well, gee, what would be worse than being a nobody coming from the very thing that has like that defines hate and evil. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And and I think that it makes this point that Sartage points out even all the more stronger that um, just because you're born into something or born a certain way doesn't mean that that defines you. Um, and I, and I love yeah. the, the, the message that he sees that it, that it, again, as a modern myth, that it says to the world we live in now that, you know, people are born within certain genders that don't feel that that's their gender and feel, you know, called to, to be who they know that they are. And I do think that this story affirms that journey as well. And, and I think that it's a beautiful thing to point out. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. And, it, it's more than just chosen family. It's chosen identity, which I think is something yeah. that so many young people, especially again, Star Wars is for young people first and foremost. But 
but young people growing up in a very complex world today. This is not the world of the 70s and 80s or even the early 2000s. The world is just harder, in my honest opinion. And I think that this myth kind of gets into the grittiness of our world and gives us a simple truth like, yep, you can choose who you are. You have that power. Um, and Ray encapsulates that. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Leia says it almost from the beginning, you know, yeah. don't be afraid of who you are. Um, and the fact that she finds out that she's a Palpatine and the whole journey that she goes to, you know, essentially redefining who she is and taking on the family identity that she wants mm-hmm. um, in the Skywalker family is is just a, a very incredibly powerful story because that's what she wants. You know, we we've talked about this, you know, Carl, that from the get go in the force awakens, what was Ray looking for? Family. Yep. Family. Absolutely. Family. She wanted to be part of a family. We get that reintroduced very early on a Pasana when the girl asks her what her family name is. And she's like, I, I don't have one. And you know, the, the way she says it makes you think that she really wants one because she wants to be, part of a family and yes she has her chosen family with finn and poe but that's not like a you know that that, that doesn't give her a a name to go with it you know a, a and i an identity to, to belong with an identity that she wants to claim um you know because finn doesn't have a last name and poe dameron's just you know a reckless hotshot. um <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, it's one of those things that, and she feels very drawn and connected to the Skywalkers. And so at the end of it, you know, with everything that goes on with Luke and Leia and Ben and Han and all this stuff, she decides, yeah, I'm going to be a Skywalker mm. um, and rejects what her name says she should be and decides to redefine who she is in face of, you know, certain death and her closest family member who is telling her that she's designed for evil when she obviously does not feel that way in her heart. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great point and a great story in that regard. And I think that is the biggest theme that we really need to take away from the movie. Um, and you know, it's a very powerful thing. Um, yeah. All other inconsistencies aside. Right, right. That's the big that's the big takeaway. And you know what um, I was literally just thinking as you reminded us of, of Leia's quote from the kind of the top of the movie, which is ne- you know, don't be afraid of who you are. Leia knows from experience what it's like to be part of a dysfunctional family and then claiming yeah. a di- right. So in the new canon, Leia her last name is Forever Organa. She doesn't take solo. Right. She never takes that name. She never nope. takes the name Skywalker, which obviously we learn in Bloodline. She kept that part of her past hidden for a very long time, um, yeah. which obviously had some negative effects. Um, but Leia chose Organa to be her family name because that's her family. So I think that her again, like I, I can't say enough how much I love that Leia is Master Leia and Ray is the apprentice in this movie <laughs> because this is something where Ray or Leia's teaching out of experience, which there's nothing more powerful than that, right? She's not just talking a philosophical idea here of like, oh, don't be afraid of who you are. Don't be because I'm telling you I wasn't either and I learned how not to be. You know, go back to that moment when Luke reveals the truth of, you know, his lineage and with Leia 
And he reveals that Vader's his father. Your father. Like the disgust on Leia's face. And the horror. That. And, and then the horror to learn that she's part of that family. Mm-hmm. Well, again, another testament to just how damn strong of a character Leia is. She learns how to identify herself in spite of this crippling part of her lineage. Um, so she is literally the perfect person to teach Ray how to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're curious about, you know, some of the explanations as to why she keeps the Organa name, read bloodline because she, she goes into that and, you know, a, a bit in some of the, you know, the discussion in her head and things like that. But yeah, no, it, it's, it's a, it's a very good book. And one of the, one of the essential books for this era in star Wars, if you are a reader or audiobook listener. So check out bloodline. We highly encourage it. Yeah. Um, our buddy Jim also weighed in Carl. Yes. Um, ultimately Jim didn't care for the movie. Um, and he and I, he and I talk text quite a bit and we've talked a lot about the things that, he didn't work for him. He didn't even go into specifics in his email. Um, he does point out, though, that, you know, one of the things uh, he, he did find himself agreeing with a lot of what Katie had to say on Twitter. So obviously, Katie, Katie shared a lot of her thoughts and feelings about this movie within the week of when it came out, um, which, of course, anyone's welcome to, to go and, and visit. Um, and Katie makes a lot of great points, many of which I do agree with and some of which I don't. But that's Okay. Um, but Jim basically says, um, in conclusion, although I didn't like Rise of Skywalker, the mindset I've taken on now is to continue to enjoy the stories that I do love, move past the stories I don't love, and appreciate the fact that every Star Wars story is someone's favorite. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you. From Jim. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. That's, I mean, that was his final point. And I think, and we, We've had that discussion several times just via text and, you know, this, this story just didn't work for Jim. Um, but he also understands that that's okay. Cause he's got stories that he loves like rogue one and Mandalorian. <laughs> um, and, uh, just to quote a couple, but you know, yeah, I think that's a, a really, you know, it's, it, it's a very valid way to, to respond to this movie. Um, yeah, you know. and it's a very helpful way in the fandom to respond to things is because, you know, he while he doesn't love this movie, he doesn't really like the movie at all, um, he, he still has Star Wars that he loves. It didn't ruin Star Wars for him. He, you know, will focus on the stories he loves and, you know, appreciate the fact that everyone has a favorite and everything is somebody's favorite, as we just saw in our poll that we did about your favorite Star Wars film, every single one of those got a vote. Every single live-action Star Wars film in our poll, just like last week or the week before, got a vote when we asked what was your favorite. So every movie is somebody's favorite movie, and you don't like it when somebody trashes yours, so don't do the same to others. Right. And and again, like I think it's obviously it's valid to have your criticisms of what you didn't like in a star Wars movie. Um, we all have them for even the movies we do like. Um, I mean, you know, we just finished that two part series where we ranked them and focusing on all the things we loved. We could have easily thrown in something. Here's, you know, the one thing I didn't like, I mean, that'd be easy to do, but it's like, eh, why go down that road? Um, that's not what the point of it is. Um, right. But yeah. And it's not to say that because you have criticisms that, Oh, don't make your criticisms, but, 
of course you can make your criticisms, but I think there's a way in which we can make criticisms that um, I, I hate to say this, but like the more I spend time on Twitter, the more I just see the worst in <laughs> worst in fandom. Like people it's, just like to be jerks to be jerks. It's you put something out and people are like, nope, that's stupid. And it's dumb for you to think that. And it's like, why do you have to say that? Like, it, it's fine if you don't like this, but why even comment then? Um, I, 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 somebody I've, I've heard uh, somewhere, I can't remember where, um, once said that uh, Twitter, Twitter you is always a worse, ver- a worse version of you. Um, so <laughs> it's, Twitter is always a worse version of you than who you really are. So I don't know. It, it, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. I've actually been posting a little bit on Twitter some of my my thoughts as I rewatch the Clone Wars. Um, not many so far, but I have been posting a little bit on Twitter. Um, so there's that. But uh, I don't I don't spend too much time on there scrolling through my feed. So. I don't really know what's going on either, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yes, I, I I do think everyone has a room has the room to express their their dislikes and their problems and their issues with anything in Star Wars. But please, for the love of the Force, do it in a kind and respectful way, because there's somebody out there who is going to love what you're hating on, um, and. We want to be a a unified fandom in the sense of the fact that we love Star Wars or aspects of Star Wars. That doesn't mean we have to be uniform in the way we love Star Wars, but let's be unified in the fact that we do love Star Wars, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's very valid. Um, so moving on to uh, another friend of ours, uh, Philip. Um, Philip sent a great uh, transcript of breaking down the the title track to the Rise of Skywalker. Um, yes. Unfortunately, we can't read through all of it because it's it's very detailed, and I do love it. Philip did a great job of channeling his inner David W. Collins as well. Um, yes. That man is David W. Collins is just a gift to the Star Wars community. Um, but he does say this in summary. Um, he says. Wow, in my opinion, The Rise of Skywalker's concert piece is the single warmest, most gorgeous, original Star Wars theme since Anakin's theme in Phantom Menace. My absolute favorite theme from the prequel trilogy. The more I listen to it, the more I hear it tell the Star Wars saga. The entire concert piece manages to evoke the essence and feel while not strictly quoting all or most of the hero's themes from the entire saga. It even hints at a possible resolution to Ben's redemption at the end. Overall, it's a beautiful summary of the Skywalker saga, saga in musical form. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I will say the last time I saw the movie was with Philip, and he was starting to form this idea um, as we were leaving the movie theater talking about it. And he was like, I, I really love the soundtrack, and I really love this piece on the soundtrack, and I've got some thoughts about it that I'm still trying to work through, but, uh, you know... he he was very excited about this. So I, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic way to express, uh, this idea and the sentiment in music because music can transcend, you know, thoughts and words and things like that. And it gives you the feeling that we're going for rather than, you know, any specific explanation and in an art form, like a movie feeling is important feeling is almost more important than anything else. Agreed. 
Yeah, I mean, I love the Rise of Skywalker theme that we have here in the background playing right now. Easily one of my favorite things in Star Wars now, because, you know, um, as you know, Jason, and anyone who's been with the show for a while, my favorite type of Star Wars music is the what I call this, the soft listening, the easy listening. Um, yep. That's just my favorite kind of music in general. So, of course, that's the stuff that, I, that I'm drawn to even in Star Wars. Um, but I remember somebody asked David Collins this on Twitter about this theme, and David Collins gave the technical musical term for this, and I can't remember what it is, but he did say that the Rise of Skywalker piece and Anakin's theme are the same type of musical fill in the blank. I can't remember the darn word. Um, I should have. Was it was it Lydian? Yes, Lydian. It's in Lydian form. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So both. I, I, that, he's mentioned Lydian form <laughs> on his podcast a few times so his uh soundtrack show podcast a few times so i was just wondering if that was it (laughs) yeah and i like philip's point here is that you know how the end of the piece kind of evokes where ben's story is going to go and his redemption so if you do think about it this way and um again i'd love to do this at a later time on the show because i always love talking star wars music and listening to it Mm -hmm. but if you took the anakin skywalker theme and then played it and then right after played the rise of Skywalker theme, the Anakin theme, right? It does kind of come down to this point where it hints at the Vader theme, right? The, yep. the trajectory of Anakin's arc, but rise of Skywalker starts lifting up and becomes this transcendent piece. And again, I'll, I'll have to look more deeply at what Philip points out, but this notion that it finalizes with the redemption of Ben. And also that redemption of Ben also hints at the legacy of the Skywalkers being taken on by Ray. So while, it, it kind of, you know, with the Anakin theme came from this place of innocence destined for goodness and greatness. It kind of falls down and then is lifted back up again, which is, you know, just beautiful musical storytelling. So at some point, I'm definitely going to want to look at that on the show more in depth. Um, yeah. Uh, my God, I really wish David W. Collins would come on the show. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> yes. That is our goal for 2020. Yes. To get Mr. Collins on the Wampa's Lair. Uh, maybe we should start a, a campaign um, I, or something. I don't know. have to. Well, I'm getting desperate. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Philip, thank you so much for pointing out kind of, again, the, the beauty of that title track for Rise of Skywalker. Um, Indeed. So you want to give us the next bit from uh, our friend Jeff? Yes, Jeff Fishbach. Um, he he is a big Star Wars fan, um, and uh, admits that his take on the Rise of Skywalker might be a little bit boring, um, because everyone that listens to his podcast or follows him on Twitter knows that he loves all Star Wars. So he says, um, "I love the sequel trilogy. I don't rank the films because they're all the same to me. They're one big story. That may sound wrong." But that is how I see all the saga films. So having said that, I loved The Rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, and he, he continues to go on uh, about, you know, some other things uh, that you know, kind of back up that point. But basically, he's like, it's all one story to me. And I love The Rise of Skywalker because I love the whole overall story. Um, and as people who just spent two weeks you know, agonizing over the fact that we had to rank Star Wars movies. Um, I understand the desire to not want to rank them, Jeff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, be- but yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, cause um, I, I, 
a couple of people pointed this out to me, people that I'm friends with um, off air, um, that some of my comments on on those episodes were a little flippant. And I, I never intended to be um, about saying that, um, you know, uh, you can't say all of them are the same because they're not. You know, I, I made that comment in last week's episode. I, ne- I never meant that to be flippant. I just I have so much fun playing the ranking game. Like to me, it's just really fun. But I also really respect <laughs> that for some people. That's just not what you do. You, you see it as one big story and you love it as one big story. Um, so I think that's great too. Um, so if if I came off as flippant in, in either of those points about, you know, not critiquing me or, uh, you know, that liking them all is, is the wrong answer, I, I certainly didn't mean that. Um, so uh, I just want to own up to that and, and, and point out that I, I just I personally love playing the ranking game. Um, and, you know, when it comes to critiquing people's ranks, I just – I, I find it fruitless because um, it's all subjective and that's the point of the game. Um, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's fun to simply rank them based on whatever means you choose to. So, yeah, um, but anyway, but yeah, I, I appreciate uh, Jeff's just, um, you know, solid love for this story in and of itself. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a great way to look at it. And, you know, I think sometimes, we get so wrapped up in the individual movies that sometimes we forget there is an overall story. Um, not necessarily forget, but lose sight of the fact that there is, you know, a, an overall arc to all of this. And so it's nice to have people like Jeff out there who are like, yeah, it's all the same thing. Remember, guys? So it's like, oh, yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, so thank you, Jeff, for, for that. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound wrong. Um, so I do want to clarify that Jeff, he, he said that may sound wrong, but that's how I see the saga film. So it's not wrong, Jeff. Um, it, again, everyone we're talking, we're talking about movies. We're talking about an art and everyone's opinions on this is completely subjective. There's no right or wrong way to, to view or love star Wars. So there's just not, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to, to say something else and I lost it, but yeah. Uh, so there's no, there's, that's not wrong, Jeff. So enjoy it the way you want to enjoy it. And, uh, we will do the same. Right. Um, so our last, our last email came in from Bonnie and Bonnie sent a really long email with, uh, um, kind of a theory she has about Palpatine's motives in rise of Skywalker. And honestly, I find this absolutely brilliant. Um, so uh, while it is a bit long and it's not to say that other folks who wrote in long things weren't worth reading all of them, but I feel like to, in order to capture the theory, you kind of have to read the whole thing. Um, yeah. And and I think it's a great theory. So here we go. Here's Bonnie's theory about Palpatine's motives in Rise of Skywalker. She says, I personally liked that he was back because I knew that meant Kylo Ren was going to be redeemed. And I really love how they did that. But for most of the movie, he's just like, kill Ray, kill Ray, kill my granddaughter until the end when he says to her, no, I didn't want you dead before going back to wanting her dead again a minute later. That really (laughs) niggled at me until on my fourth viewing, something just kind of clicked in my head because of what Finn says after learning Dio has been to Exegol with Ochi. Poe asks why Ochi was going there. And Finn says to bring a little girl he was supposed to take from Jakku to the emperor. He wanted her alive. At first, I thought this line really messed things up in an already vague storyline that wasn't making a whole lot of sense. But then I dove pretty deep. So here it is. Uh, 
You want to read get ready, folks. Do you want to read next? Popcorn <laughs> <Sure>. Jason. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, Palpatine, being a mess in a messed up state after the events of Return of the Jedi, had originally intended for Rey to be his life insurance plan way back when she was a little kid. Maybe even when she was born because of the power in, of her power in the Force. But then his super classified son, Sheev Jr. Um, ugh, I can't believe you made me read Sheev. I don't like that. Anyways, um, <laughs> that is the one thing about Palpatine I don't like is his name, his first name. I cannot stand Sheev. Anyways, uh, I'll get over it. Um, but then his super classified son, Sheev Jr., got wind of that plan and it involving Ray becoming a host body. He and his missus were like, heck no, and absconded with young Ray. Ochi was sent to bring Ray back and most likely kill her parents. He believed Sheev Jr. and the missus when they said that Ray wasn't on Jakku, at which point he killed them. I think when we see Oshi's ship leaving Rey behind, that is Rey assuming her parents were on that ship when really they were already dead elsewhere in the town. And then Oshi himself wound up dead in a sandworm's tunnel on a different desert planet, Pasana, while still looking for Rey. Hashtag Oshi sucks at his job. Uh, she continues. Do you want to take the next? Yeah, yeah. She continues. At about this same time, Palpatine starts having visions of Rey becoming a Jedi now that she's disappeared and not within his grasp. I think this because of Kylo Ren's response in Rise of Skywalker when Rey asks why Palpatine wanted her dead as a child. Kylo Ren says, He was afraid of what you would become. You don't just have power, you have his power. Also, quick sidebar. This is the most misquoted line from the movie, and because of its misquote, it's a lot more destructive than I think it's intended to be. So most people see it as, you don't have power, you have his power. But he says you don't just have power. So it is an admission that she does have tremendous power in her own agency. But it's also extra special because it's a Palpatine power. Um, so yeah, right, it's right, still right. destructive, but that's also words from a villain. So just keep that in yes. mind. Um, yes, yes. But Bonnie continues, um, what would Palpatine be afraid of his granddaughter becoming? His greatest enemy, a Jedi. And furthermore, a Jedi with his own capacity is a powerful force user. This is reinforced later when Palpatine's asking why Kylo Ren hasn't killed Rey yet. Kylo Ren says, I know where she's going. She'll never be a Jedi. Palpatine says, make sure of it. Kill her. Um, so... This I loved this point. Um, it had me thinking. So this is my point now. I'm going to interject Bonnie's theory because I, I love this point that she's not a Jedi yet, right? Um, that Ray up to this point, like, in the like movie, Luke is not a Jedi until he faces Darth Vader again. Exactly. So what does Luke tell Ray when she's on Octo? Um, facing fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. That is what Luke did. He's teaching out of his own experience here. He wasn't a Jedi when he, when he rolled up on Jabba's palace. He was not a Jedi yet. What he needed to do was face his fear of his family lineage, face the fear of who his father actually is and figure out what to do with that. So just the same is true for Rey here, that Rey doesn't actually become a Jedi until she goes to Exegol. When she makes that decision to go to Exegol and confront the fear of her lineage, that's when she becomes a Jedi. So I just thought that was a great um, – that's, that's kind of my point going off of Bonnie's incredible theory here. Um, but I love the way that that connects to Luke's own story in Return of the Jedi, that he's not a Jedi until he chooses to face Vader. Rey isn't a Jedi in Rise of Skywalker until she chooses to face the Emperor as well. Um, so, anyway. I like that. Continue the theory, uh, Jason, from Bonnie. 
All right. So uh, she says, now back when Palpatine first had these threatening visions after Ray disappeared, he realized he needed to come up with a different apprentice. So he zeroed in on Ben Solo. Using the Snoke clone puppet, he refocused all his energy into molding and seducing Ben to the dark side. Behold, Kylo Ren is born. Someday Palpatine will move into his body and live on forever. But then Ray resurfaces, cue the Force Awakens, and starts hanging out with the Skywalker kids, which begins a chain reaction that leads to Kylo Ren going rogue on the whole Snoke clone puppet in The Last Jedi – only pretending to cooperate with Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker and culminating in Leia's interference on the Death Star 2 wreckage that enables Ben Solo's return. Dang. Palpatine realizes his second life insurance plan, which was going so well, is wrecked, and he says as much. The Princess of Alderaan has disturbed my plans. Oh, darn that Leia. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for that meddling princess. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's Jason's commentary. Um, wrap it up, Carl. So, with Ben Solo reborn, Palpatine has to quickly make a new contingency plan on the spot. So, he goes back to the very original plan involving Rey. When she comes to Exegol, he tries to convince her he never wanted her dead, despite what Kylo Ren told her. Long have I waited for my grandchild to come home. I never wanted you dead. I wanted you here. Empress Palpatine. When she still refuses to play along, Palpatine goes back to his old trick of playing Ray's love for her friends against doing what he wants her to do. But then, wildcard Ben comes barreling in, and the power of their dyad, which Palpatine wasn't aware of this whole time, is revealed. At that point, he realizes their combined power in the Force gives him all the strength he needs, and he can just go ahead and destroy both of them because he doesn't need either of them anymore. But of course, that doesn't end well for him, and the rest is history. Kudos to Bob. I, I, yeah, it's it's a great theory. Um, I there's a few points that I might you know wiggle back and forth, and maybe you know interject or 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 push back on a little bit. But overall, I think it's a very sound theory, and the way she tells it is pretty entertaining. Yeah. Um, I will I will grant her that. So thank you so much, Bonnie, um, for that. I. I to be honest, while I do – Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren has always been far and away plan number two <laughs> for for Palpatine in my opinion. Um, and I think a lot of the time when he's telling Kylo to go kill her, he's like, well, if he does, then she wasn't worth it. Um, but if she kills him, then my original idea is just proven all the more that she is the more powerful and she is who I want. So he Palpatine has never viewed any one of the Skywalker family as anything more than tools. And um, Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren is just the latest in a long line of, line of screwdrivers he's got in his belt. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the biggest question I still have, because I. Uh, and, and this goes back to, I think, even one of Kurt's questions earlier that we didn't explicitly state, but the whole story of, like, where did Palpatine's child come from? Like, his son himself, right? Was it some? Was he born of natural means, right? Did Palpatine have a mistress or something? Or was he just some sort of clone of Palpatine? We Obviously, we don't know. Why didn't Palpatine just use him? Who knows? Maybe he ran away, too, because he hated his father and got out of there and then had a child and... 
You know, I mean, Clone Wars is hinted at the fact that Sidious has always had his fingers in meddling with Force-sensitive children, right? Remember that arc where he's got his um, <laughs> factory on Mustafar and he has Cad Bane abduct children? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's consistent with a Palpatine plan, <laughs> um, doing something with yeah. children. So wanting young Ray, yeah, he wants her as a child. Um, but then when he's realizing she's becoming a Jedi, he wants her dead. Um, and he's going to have his new tool, like you said, do that, which is uh, Kylo Ren. So he'll just take over Kylo Ren eventually. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, again, like I think there is a lot of con- convoluted plot in Rise of Skywalker. But that's why I really like the way Bonnie has just kind of thought it all out. Because um, I do think that it it's there. Like I do think that there is – there is a story there. There is, and I think it does make sense. Does it make perfect sense? No, but uh, I do think it makes a lot more sense than a one view of this movie will allow. Um, right. So I, I just right. I, that, I, yeah. The Rise of Skywalker is a movie that needs multiple viewings, much like the Last Jedi was and Rogue One. Uh, you know, I, so there, there's a lot that's happening in this movie that needs multiple viewings to really kind of wrap your brain around. Um, and, uh, and uh, this is definitely a point that, uh, you know, it, Bonnie, I believe says that this, after her fourth viewing is when she really started making sense of this, this idea and, uh, really sort of formulating her, her theory. So, uh, I think it's a great one and it really does kind of, you know, put a nice, uh, narrative in the back of your head when you're viewing this and going, ah, okay, I kind of see where Palpatine's coming from now. Um, and you know, it doesn't have to make perfect sense because he's, you know, essentially being, you know, held together by the force equivalent of duct tape and bailing wire at the beginning <laughs> of the movie. So he's probably not in his right mind anyways. Um, so it doesn't have to make perfect sense. It just has to make sense to him at the time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you, Bonnie. And she's a new listener. She just recently found us and and uh, mentioned that. And so thank you for, for joining in uh, the lair, Bonnie. And uh, we appreciate your offering this theory for us. And uh, we hope we hope you stick around. So, yeah. Well, and there you go. We did it. We got through them all. Woo! Um, maybe maybe we'll revisit some of the questions that we didn't get to, to dig into deeply in future episodes. Uh, we'll see what happens. But thank you, everyone, so much for writing in and giving your thoughts. And we appreciate all the 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 work and and you know thought and, and energy that you put into to sending these to us. So thank you, everyone, for doing that. Yeah, I love hearing them. Yes, it is a good thing. Indeed. All right. Uh, do you have anything else to say on the rise of Skywalker, Carl? Or are we good yes, to start closing I mean, I, down this episode? I do, but I'll save it. <laughs> oh, okay. For future um, episodes. Yes. Right. So, but we do uh, have a poll. Yes, we do have a poll. Um, shall I do it or shall you? Go ahead. All right. So our poll for next week, ladies and gentlemen, since we are talking about the rise of Skywalker, we wanted to give something uh, related to this. So we want to know who was your favorite character in the rise of Skywalker. Now, they don't have to be your favorite character from the saga as a whole, because sometimes characters have standout moments in different movies. Um, So, for example, R2 is my favorite character in Star Wars. 
but he's not my favorite character in the rise of Skywalker. So we want to know who your favorite character in the rise of Skywalker is. Um, and we look forward to hearing those results. Carl, if people want to weigh in on the matchup or want to just send in any of their other thoughts on the rise of Skywalker, where can they do that, sir? Um, oh, obviously, uh, we are on Twitter at Wampuslayer. You can find us on Facebook at Wampuslayer Podcast, and you can always email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Uh, anything else before we close this down? No, just reiterate what you said. Thank you to all of you who wrote in. Um, apologies, we apologies we weren't able to get to every single uh, bit of every email, but again, thank you for taking the time to write them, and thanks for all the fun thoughts that you, that you brought to the show indeed it's always nice to have a show where i don't have to make the notes um <laughs> i know copy and paste them it's pretty simple yes all right well thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the wampus lair podcast this has been episode number 370 the rise of the larians for carl and katie who's on hiatus i'm jason and we will see you next time here in the wampus lair <laughs>